windows. The Bucks got all the right steps in Charleston. They now can try their slipper and see if it fits at the big ball. East Tennessee State Buccaneers, they're dancing, boys and girls. Perea lays it up. 1.4. Perea hits it. The pass is caught. Ready for the game winner. Wide left. Bucks win. Bucks spotting for three. The place is going to erupt. Oh, Deuce Bellow. He's going to make Sports Center with an incredible. Jarvis Jones, the game winner, got it. Ball game. East Tennessee State's going to leave on another. They got him. If he catches it, it's over. Ball game. Touchdown, Jawan Stinson. 25 yards. J.J. German for the win. He got it. J.J. German and the Bucks have shocked the Bulldogs. And the sidekick. Say hello to my little friend. What's your name, man? I told you. It doesn't matter what your name is. You're handsome. You have the perfect amount of scruff. And you still have no talent. It's Sandos and the sidekick on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Not a better description of Sandos and the sidekick than the opening of this show as Jay Sandos, Mike Gallagher. Home game this season, 2019. It is shorter. It is ETSU Bucks trying to bounce back from the Appalachian State defeat, trying to get off on the right foot against a lower division opponent. Austin Herrick will join us. Bold predictions. We're going to talk a little uh, ETSU bold predictions, and uh, you're going to talk a little NFL. NFL. Right? Let's do NFL. NFL. I'm so excited. NFL. Game one last night was... Have you heard the news? What's that? Antonio Brown. I've been living under a rock, so no. Oh, okay. What happened? We'll save that for segment four. Save it for your bold prediction that is in the bumper that says Antonio Brown will be be a model citizen. Won't scream at any GMs out in Oakland. Won't uh, threaten to punch them in the face. Maybe maybe you do. Maybe I do. do. Yeah, it's all coming back to me as we talk about it. All right, all right. Let's bold predictions a little later. I'll give you, you know, who's actually going to win. Mike will give you his, you know... Very bad thoughts, as he always does on all of his predictions. We uh, slate is wiped clean this year, by the way, in bold predictions. Thank Everyone's zero and zero. Thank goodness. Yeah, and we were you. awful first week, too. So that's okay. All right, let's talk a little shorter. How about that? Sounds good. All right. Uh, week one, you take on Appalachian State. The Bucks do. Now they go shorter. Exact opposite of what's sort of happened the last several years where the Bucks were able to get um, a tune-up game. And I know James Masson doesn't qualify as an FBS team, but certainly they were coming off the national championship and a, a step up in competition, I would say, uh, especially for that year. But now the Bucks played Appalachian State. Now they got to go to Shorter. Shorter's had its struggles. We've talked to Mike Beaver on Wednesday about it. You've already talked to uh, head coach Zach Morrison. We'll have that conversation tomorrow on the pregame show. Certainly the easiest thing to look out is the struggles they've had defensively, especially defensively in the second half. Yeah, no question. I mean, gave up 40-plus to every opponent except one last year, and they're in a transition period with Zach Morrison. He told me in that conversation, preview it just a bit for those that may not catch the pregame show or just to tease a little bit of the content for the pregame show that starts at 6 p.m. tomorrow on the Buccaneer Sports Network for a 7.30 kickoff. Coach Morrison said when he took over before last year, this is his second season, he had only 30 returning players. I mean, the cupboard was not bare necessarily of collegiate players and talent that could be on the field but just numbers in general 30 returning players is not enough to fill special teams defense and offense depending on position yeah if you get lucky you might have some two-way guys or guys that can get down the field on special teams Uh, what about your kicker punter long snapper etc it's just not a lot uh 
you probably weren't thinking you'd find a team younger than ETSU this season. If it was going to be one team, it was going to be shorter that they play at least. 59 freshmen of 105 players for ETSU. For shorter, 77 freshmen, 36 sophomores on a 135-person roster. So underclassmen, 113 of 135. Last year, 86 freshmen for shorter on their roster, and they only retained 36 of those. So at least at the outset of Zach Morrison's tenure, which we certainly hope for Coach Morrison because I really enjoyed the conversation, very generous with his time to us. He's a very talkative, energetic, positive person, someone that I would believe every word that's coming out of his mouth if I were a young man looking to play college football. It's just a very difficult sell when you've lost 39 in a row. But Aaron Kelton, who had the job before him, the only coach aside from Phil Jones, who retired back in 2015, after building this program up and restarting it in 2005, or starting it, I should say, in 2005, uh, since the reinception of the program, it's Jones, Kelton, and now Morrison. And Kelton, in his two seasons, was 0-22. Zach Morrison's already 0-11. You certainly hope that his job doesn't hinge on some of these games coming up. Well, and I think certainly when you look at this game against ETSU, it's, it's what it is. It's a paycheck game. So, you know, they do play in, in the toughest, uh, or at least arguably the toughest Division II conference in the Gulf South. And you know, that that conference itself has multiple teams that have won national championships and multiple teams that have won multiple times and multiple teams that have actually stepped up in competition that have springboard from Division Two to either uh, FCS and some have gone from FCS to FBS. And so they've been able to make full transition. So it's a very good league. You know, when you make that jump from Division Two to, to uh, FCS, there's obviously – some changes in what would happen there. Of course, they were NAI, so even taking that into the Division Two is a huge step. So just think about, you know, sort of where you have to go and the conference you go in. And so just for their location and travel and all that, they just happen to go in the Tufts Conference. So there's going to be a little bit of a learning curve, um, I think. And to beat out some of those schools for some of the players that are established, I think you're, you're running into that right now. Clearly, they're recruiting. When you look at their recruiting maps and look at their roster, they're recruiting in a very small area right now because they're a small institution with a small program right now, not one that's got a legacy, one that's been around for only 15 years, has only been Division II full-time, uh, a complete member of Division II for uh, now five years, back in 2014, is one that started. And, yeah, you've got, when you step up in competition, some lopsided results. And that's usually the case across the board, but you look at a team that's lost 39 in a row and you say, well, do they have a chance to hang with ETSU? I think you've seen with Mars Hill, Limestone, games like that for ETSU in the past couple of years, it's been a bit different because those were first games of the season, right? And you had three score games in each of them where you look at shorter and it just doesn't appear possible for them to hang with ETSU should everything go the way that the Bucks hope and even if some things don't go the way ETSU hopes. You had Sanford beating shorter 66-9 to in the opener last year. North Alabama 41-14 to in the second-to-last matchup of 2018. Now, North Alabama was technically an FCS team, but they were not in a conference. That was their first full year moving up to Division One, and now they have moved into the Atlantic Sun. Chattanooga in 2016 in the opener, 66 to nothing over Shorter, and the only FCS opponent that Shorter's faced since ETSU brought football back that they kept it close with was actually Kennesaw State. Funny enough, in 2015, it was 18 to 10 in the second game of that season. That was also, though, Kennesaw State's first season also. So you look at that game as a little bit of an outlier. They're approaching rapidly, Jay, and I, I know that this will be some motivation for not only Coach Morrison but the players as well. Some of the longest losing streaks in college football history. Division II, Lock Haven lost 52 in a row. That's the record at that level. Earlham, 
at Division Three has lost 53 in a row. That's an active streak. Of course, Prairie View A&M at the FCS level, 80 in a row. Legendary from streak. From 1989 to 1998, about a full decade's worth, almost doubling the previous record of Columbia's at 44 games. It's 39 in a row for Shorter. So it's, it's a numbers disadvantage for Shorter. It's a geographical disadvantage in terms of where they recruit. They just draw from a very small area compared to other programs that are trying to be successful. And Coach Morrison is trying to develop a culture, but I think you look at the results at the Division Two, and you start to move up in the athletics levels and you get to FCS, FBS, and even higher, uh, time starts to run short if you don't start to win. So Coach Morrison is certainly, I'm sure, impressing that on his players that we got to get this culture in place, but we got to get some Ws. Well, and also he's a former player, so he, he knows. Uh, you know, I think he graduated 2005 or six somewhere in that range, and had played and, and had graduated from there. So he's, you know, he's got all the, I think, touches some, some bases there that he can sell the school better than some, right? And I think that's maybe. Probably better than anyone. Exactly. Honestly. And so that's, that's I think that's the direction they wanted to go. What they're trying to do and, and find the right pieces and, and all that, as most coaches do, try to bring in their own guys. And it just happens. They played a lot of freshmen, as you mentioned, last year. They've got even more coming in this year. You know, there's a lot. If you look at both teams, really, the the number of freshmen on each two deeps, it's quite impressive. It's over 30. Um, I think so it's closer to 35. But majority of those still on uh, the shorter side of things. And most of those for shorter are true freshmen, where some of the ones for ETSU are redshirt freshmen. So they at least had another year of school, uh, and, you know, and practicing before they've stepped out on the field. So uphill task for shorter. That being said, ETSU – you know, doesn't need to overlook anybody. We've talked about this before. The program isn't in a place where it can just show up and win games. They've had trouble doing it. They've had trouble uh, extending themselves to to knock out Limestone. Same thing with Mars Hill. Both those teams hung around long enough to make it a little bit interesting. And so I think it's imperative for ETSU to try to, by the third quarter, if not before that, have it in the bag, have an opportunity for some extra players to, to get some reps. Yeah, there's a couple of possible wins on the shorter schedule this year. Without a doubt, Fort da- Valley State was 2-8 and eight last year, predicted fourth in their six-team conference, and they haven't played Fort Valley State, has shorter during this losing streak, so a new opponent, Allen University, in Allen's final game of the year, two weeks after their final game in the Appalachian Athletic Conference, that's when they play. So it's a week off and then their last game of the year, which is kind of odd. And that's an Allen team that just added their program back after eliminating it in 2005 last year. So there are possibilities for wins out there for shorter on Saturday is not one of them against CTSU, especially coming off a loss against Appalachian State. Randy Sanders is a master in this situation. So is Steve Forbes. We talked about it during basketball season when ETSU doesn't put up a good effort on the court. Steve Forbes always has the Bucks ready to play the next time out. Losing back-to-back games is something that when you win 25 games per year for the first four years you are somewhere, just doesn't really happen. And that's because Steve Forbes is so excellent at making sure that his men understand what they did wrong, preparing them for success. Randy Sanders is the exact same way. So I think that this is going to be lopsided. I'm curious what you think ETSU needs to do to have a successful night by their standards, not by the scoreboard standards. But if you're looking at the Bucks on Saturday, what will define success and what will make you happy coming out of the game? I, the I think the easiest thing is talking to Randy Sanders' coaches show Wednesday night, um, talking to uh, offense coordinator Mike Rader. It was both about eliminating the mistakes that they had, the pre-stat mistakes, the simple mistakes, the missed assignments, 
uh, you know, there's a couple of plays you're supposed to have, uh, you know, different blocking, and somebody just missed a block and it into a negative play. I, I think they'll, you know, try to play a clean, right, a clean as game as you can is what I think they're going to try to to hang on the picture. You know, did we not have any penalties? Did we not turn it over? Did we hit all of our assignments? Are we making all the throws and the catches? You know, did the running backs hit the proper holes? I mean, I think they'll be grading out things differently that probably won't be answered until the next day of film session. But I, I think they felt like if they, they didn't do that particularly well against Appalachian State and still, you know, had about 300 yards of total offense, still was able to move the ball, should have had more points on the board than what they had. So I think if they clean that stuff up, then everything else takes care of itself. And I think that's what they'll judge it on. Some little things, too, I think Randy Sanders wants to see. You talk about penalties, but take it a level deeper. There's procedure penalties they had three penalties that were false starts delay games those type of pre-snap penalties on their second drive against Appalachian State he wants those cut out kickoff coverage I know is something that he's really special teams effort in general correct yeah yeah and it's not Garrett Taylor it's not punting the ball he had a great day he said Tyler Keltner he booted that extra point through when the box had the one chance that was good Uh, Landon Kunak you know boomed it a couple times and the kickoff specialist side of things but effort getting downfield covering kicks and punts and that's something that he really wants to look at as well and I'm sure that he's going to be grading out Trey Mitchell on a bit more of a severe curve if it is indeed Trey Mitchell if it's Chance Thrasher if it's Cam Lewis whatever quarterback is going to be out there he's going to be really looking for quarterbacks to be on point not only because you need it at this point going into conference play you've got one game under your belt and a little bit more experience but also because of the opponent you shouldn't be making any mistakes at all when you've got shorter across from you and it was a very interesting question you asked coach about 10 minutes into the coach's show on Wednesday did any quarterback in his time of coaching quarterbacks up to this year you know his time at ETSU because we know from his breakdowns of quarterbacks here with Austin Herrick Trey Mitchell Chance Thrasher that no one has reached this threshold with the Bucks yet but has any quarterback graded out perfect has anyone played perfectly at quarterback for him? And he said, actually, it's to my surprise, because I thought the answer was going to be, no way, you can never please me 100%. He said, yeah, there were a few guys, and he named a Kentucky quarterback. Mike Hartline is who he said. Yeah. He said, you remember Mike Hartline? I, I, I have, yeah. I've heard of Brian Hartline. I don't know who Mike Hartline <laughs> is. Brian Hartline, of course, former uh, Miami Dolphins receiver. Mike Hartline, I have no idea who he is. He said, for Mike Hartline's ability, what he was able to do on the field, considering how he wanted Hartline to play quarterback and taking in all the factors around those couple of things, he probably did it more often than even the Jameis Winstons, than the Peyton Mannings. So it's not that Randy Sanders is holding Trey Mitchell and Chance Thrasher and all the other quarterbacks on this roster, even Austin Herrick last year, to the Jameis Winston standard or the Peyton Manning standard. Coach Sanders is aware what quarterbacks can and cannot do, each individual quarterback, not judging them on the same curve. So he's going to be looking for each of the quarterbacks that play, because I think there will be multiple. I don't know who the first one will be. I know that's the answer everyone's looking for. We still don't know that. But all of the quarterbacks that are on the field, in whatever order they are on the field, he'll be looking for them to be darn near perfect. So it's the little things that I'm sure Coach Sanders wants to see improve to make him feel confident going into VMI. I I think all of that, I, I think, clean up all that I think he needs to to get the quarterback play I think he wants I think he has I think he liked what Austin was able to do last year but let's be honest as we've talked about he is very hard on quarterbacks I think he wants things to be exactly the way he envisioned it I think the craziest thing is to hear him talk about his eyes I call a play I'll look and see the coverage and then where my eyes take uh take me is where the 
quarterback should go and where the ball should go. And if he throws it somewhere else where I'm not looking, then I've got to go back later and look at the tape and see what, what he saw and what he do and he's throwing wrong. I did enjoy one time he admitted, you know, if my eyes go one way and he throws it the same way and we're both wrong, at least we're wrong together. So, right. So I've enjoyed that, that he's able to do that. But I think he needs a big game. And this could be a big growing game for uh, uh, Trey Mitchell uh, to step in a, a situation who, uh, again, they haven't released it yet, but it looks like Trey Mitchell will be the starter um, going into Saturday's game. But if he's the guy, and you know, you and I've heard this before, I think it's a little unfair that this is the third string quarterback. Well, you know, we don't really know. They didn't really announce Weldon was the starter, right? We we don't know that. Um, was he getting more snaps than Thrasher? Sure. Uh, it, you know, he was, but Thrasher had enough first-team snaps to go away, too. Now Thrasher's down. You know, Trey Mitchell was the lone guy who traveled with last year's quarterbacks, Austin Harrington and Logan Marshy, right? So he's been on the road. He's seen those before. I think clearly nobody questions his smarts. It's just, you know, what's his arm strength like? How's he be able to put the offense in the right position? Can he make the right checks? Will they change the game plan? to fit sort of what he does well. So I think everything bodes well for Trey to have a good game to maybe solidify that he could be the guy moving forward. And that's regardless of health of other quarterbacks, in my mind, because Chance Thrasher, while he has a deep collegiate history, he doesn't have a deep collegiate history of success. Yes, he was at Coastal Carolina, but he got injured, right? And so his story is kind of unfolding here at ETSU, at least in the very early going, small sample size, I get it, but kind of unfolding the same way so without that deep history of success chance thrasher here at etsu is just another quarterback right now i mean he's just another guy that randy sanders is waiting to get healthy to see if he can prove that he belongs on the field because while he may have quote unquote proven it during camp i think everything kind of restarts for him considering that he made it you know roughly a quarter and trey mitchell came out and went 12 or 19 117 in a score so I think Mitchell, if he's, you know, 10 for 12, 10 for 13, couple scores, the start that you would expect against a Division II team from a starting quarterback, a competent and productive and lead-by-example starting quarterback, the quarterback that every program wants, if he can go out and put up that kind of stat line, I think that it could be Trey Mitchell's job to lose the rest of the year. I agree. I, I think depending on, on what goes on, I think – you know, you saw a little bit of glimpse of what, of what Chance could, could maybe do. And if Trey comes out and plays lights out, I think it would be tough to, to get him off the field. If Trey comes out and struggles for two or three games, the offense is stagnant, then, you know, who, who's who's available? Is Chance available to come back and see what he can do? Do they throw uh, Cam Lewis an opportunity? What about the, the freshman Tyler Rodell? Are they going to redshirt him? They may use him. I think the other interesting thing will be – if the game is put away, do they let Trey just continue to get more reps or do they go in another direction? The other thing is, even if the game isn't away, does it tell you anything if maybe they work in Lewis just to get some extra uh, or just to get different type of looks and see? Because if nothing else, it gives the next opponent something to prepare for, right? I mean, I think sometimes there's a cat and mouse game there that's done in some of these situations. Do we give them things to see? A lot of people are like, man, I can't believe a team faked a punt with you know, and they're up 35. Well, sometimes they're faking a punt, not for the game they're in, but that another team will have to prepare for a big Get it punt. on tape. That's exactly right, and so that's what they do. And sometimes teams will run a different defense late in the game that they don't run. Like maybe they're a predominantly man team, or on the goal line, let's say they always play man, and then all of a sudden they throw a couple zone looks out. 
because it changes the numbers. People are so statistically driven, and it's like, okay, you have your your ops guy or your video guy break down the opposing team's game, and they say, well, listen, every single red zone defense they play man-to-man, you know, and then all of a sudden it changes numbers. Nobody notices when they play zone, but maybe there's three or four times late in the game over the past two or three weeks that they've been able to play a few zone, so maybe it's, uh, you know, 65% they're playing man, and now you've got to prepare for that at a 35% zone, and really they really want to play man against you. So it's very interesting to hear coaches and some of the conversations I ask them about why they do different things, and sometimes it's just to change the look so that somebody else will prepare for it, not particularly because we need to do it. Opportunity too. Let's go. <laughs> Randy Sanders opportunity too. What do we got, Austin? The uh, he's segment three. Segment three. Sorry, sorry. We'll be back segment two. Segment three is Herrick. Four bold predictions. Uh, apparently, me and Mike will be back in just a moment. On Sanderson sidekick of the Buccaneers. Force that work. ETSU fans, there is no more entertaining way to spend your Wednesday nights than with the human soundbite reel, Randy Sanders. It's big boy football. The Buccaneer head coach joins Jay Sandos live at Wild Wing Cafe every Wednesday night at 6 p.m. And if you can't make it to downtown Johnson City to have chicken wings and tater tots with coach, you can listen right here on AM640. All fall long, ETSU head football coach Randy Sanders, Wednesday nights. What time is it anyway? 6 p.m. On the Sports Monster. One, two, three. Four. One, two, three. Four. One, two, three. Four. One, two, three. Four now. One, two, three. Four. One, two, three. Four. One, two, three. Four. One, two, three. Four now. Four now. Four now. Four. 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 Four now. Four Downs is back. I just can't believe you didn't tell me it was the second segment. I know you don't check email or text messages or maybe even own a phone anymore. I'm not sure. But I think that I sent you about seven of each of those to say, here's Four Downs. Will you please make sure that you're ready? Well, I mean, in fairness, when you have a flip phone, it's difficult sometimes to do some of that. And email is a separate subject. You should have – it doesn't play as well on the podcast, but if we had – some sort of video version of this going on at the same time, you could just uh, throw up some of my emails I know I send to people. And is no it, signature ever. Is, I don't think it, people know. Yeah, that. The, well, punctuation, capital letter, yeah. blah, blah, blah. I, I, I also find it uh, interesting. Do Well, I don't find it interesting. Do you find it um, appalling that I probably have 600 unread emails still in my inbox? Now, is that in the – are we talking Gmail, ETSU email? Both combined, because Gmail separates it now where it's like social, promotions, and then mm. main inbox. I don't have Gmail. You don't have Gmail. Okay. I, I think I've, that would help. I've got, I've got the Yahoo. <laughs> Is that Ymail? Is that, uh, no, no, it's actually separate Ymail. Oh, that's, okay. That's what, uh, yeah, that's, that's a side story. So you are literally living in the AOL era. You're in 1997 I got, right I got, now I got Yahoo. Yahoo's Yahoo. still fun. Yeah, I got Yahoo. And, People uh, still go to Yahoo? Uh, not. I mean, I don't look up anything on Yahoo. I mean, there's Yahoo Fantasy. I think people play that. Do people I, still? Why? Yeah. Why is it just? Yeah. Is it just been grandfathered in? It's the league. probably. It's the thing I, I've you've been in the same league for twenty right. some yeah, years, exactly. so that's fair. Yeah. Um, just go to ESPN. You know, NFL.com has an okay platform too. Oh, like, ESPN is. I mean, let, let's do what millions are doing. How about yeah? That? But why don't it's you follow? The worldwide leader in sports. Okay. All First right. down. First down. Al and Chris last night. The beloved Al and Chris. Al Michaels, Chris Collinsworth on Thursday night football. The season opener, it was Green Bay, it was Chicago. It was an absolutely atrocious game to watch unless you love defense and terrible quarterbacking, aside from basically one throw from Aaron Rodgers that got down the field to Marquez Valdez-Scantling. 
I didn't think there was much fun to watch about that game. What was interesting was the open to the game. Of course, it's 100 years of NFL football this year, celebration around the league. I'm sure they're going to take any chance they can get to remind you and just the campaign throughout this season, et cetera, et cetera. And they threw it right at you in shot number one of the season. Alan Chris in the booth with the, I guess, remade homage to 100-year-old press outfits. They had the old, fedoras. School, the, the old school fedoras with the press sign on the mm-hmm. side, and mm-hmm. it was uh, very, was your cla- press pass. very classic suits. Uh, three-piece for Collinsworth I thought looked very good. Were you a fan of those outfits, or was it just too corny for I, you? I, I am a fan of that. Uh, you know, special occasion, break it out, play dress up. As, as you know, my family huge into the, the, the dress up parties very. and costumes and and uh, I kind of married into that. But <laughs> the one thing I was disappointed is the fact that I knew that Matt Wilgen would watch that. And I haven't got a message from him yet, but I'm waiting. I'm waiting to see if that, is, to if that is a thing we're going to do. I mean, I've held off getting matching sweater vests to, to start with. So, um, well, as a matter of fact, he's calling me now. There he is, Matt Wilson. Wow, his he ears were burning. Literally wants to jump in, Matt, but he got to wait. Yeah, and no, no, back. I'm not. And this is, and he doesn't know we're talking about this right now because it's not live. We're taping to put up in just a few minutes. A but um, yeah, I, I I was a fan of it. I, I think things like that for one time one offs to pay homage to that. I'm, I'm I love that. Here's my confusion about what role Alan Chris play in the NFL. So they've been very critical at certain times on social justice type issues and haven't walked that company line before. And then this year they opened with the 100 years of NFL we're going to celebrate. It almost came off like a company move. Like Goodell was like, hey, guys, here's your first outfit for the year. Like, hold on now. You're technically media, but then also you're broadcasting. It's a weird dichotomy there, a tough line I'm sure they walk every day. And that move seemed to play more towards we are NFL shills. I don't get it. Well, as a shill myself, I'm fine (laughs) with uh, what what goes on there. I I mean, I think – but they're if, broadcasting if, for a neutral network, technically, if, if, right? Nah, I don't know about that. I mean, there's still nobody is fooled that NBC and NFL need each other for certain things, and NFL has given contracts to other networks for less money. So it's not like NFL is not hurting for money. So they can certainly say, you know, they've got a little bit of pull. You remember they used to cover the national anthem when that first broke out. Now, if you notice games, the anthem is not covered anymore. Mm. And you can't tell me the networks didn't want to do that. I think the NFL – gave the hey you guys want to resign these deals and all this you will do it this way so they are there are some things that might be a little bit off limits the other thing is if if, if a shield is just from wearing 100 year old outfits and that's the worst they do i'm completely fine with that too Fair so, point. so you think I'll, it's a case-by-case case thing yeah I, I absolutely i think they should be allowed to hold the nfl's feet to the fire when it needs to be and certainly if they just said hey would you wear these outfits they're like oh, okay we can do that and they may have fun with it so i got no problem with that second down it is shorter. It is ETSU, 7.30 at William B. Green Jr. Stadium. Apparently, tailgating lots open at 8 a.m. from what you tell me. That is yes, a solid 11 every. and a half hours. Yes. 11 and a half hours of possible tailgating. I, I, if you are, are you not going to be there at 8 a.m.? Well, well actually, not, when, when do you, do you see it? You see 8 a.m. You're not, you're not a these sleeping days I do. guy. I was, yeah, for the first couple years I was here, I was more of a sleeping guy. Now I'm up at ah, You're now. a GA. That's fine. Exactly. You're so a full-time guy. I'll be in full-time. Yeah. It's like, uh, I'd like to get here at 7.30, 8 o'clock. But I uh, I have to work that night for the game. Yeah. So I don't well, I'm up at 6 be, no matter what because I just – got kids. Well, yeah. military it's too. Even though I didn't have kids, I just – the body clock says, boom, get up. What is your favorite part of the ETSU tailgate? My favorite part is I get to park – at the mini dome because that's where my staff lot parking is and then i get to walk down those steps and i stop by 
uh, Mark and Dottie Stumps tailgate first. They've okay. got a couch. They know exactly what I like to eat. Um, they have, you know, my favorite, you know, diet beverages there. And so I sit and chat and give them a breakdown of the game. And then I move on from there, usually by the Pepsi stage, where the, you know, for this game because it'll be concert, but usually not. Then I find uh, the Darren Caldwell, uh, Aaron Heaton, box truck, Big E, former baseball player, decked out uh, area. And, again, I, uh, they know what types of food I like, so I, I tend to stop there. I break down the game. I steal some beverages and then uh, make my way usually to Brian Johnson's tailgate. And go through there. Then usually I find the Carnegie, uh, and then usually some of the uh, there's a couple of uh, older fraternity groups that get together that uh, I was in school with. I find those guys. Then I usually make it across the street after about an hour and a half of that, and that's where my wife and um, uh, Matt McGahey's family and all them and uh, Gary Maber used to be the Chamber of Commerce. They're all kind of uh, gaggled right there. So then I stop and take advantage of what they got there and then i eventually kind of make my way to the stadium so i got about a two and a half hour three three blocked off just to walk to the stadium so that i can steal uh, or borrow or be given whatever how are you going to look at it uh, as much food and drink and tailgate experience as i can have before i'm usually up in the booth about a solid two hours before we actually take the airwaves so for six o'clock i'll probably get there at two and by four thirty 30 latest i'll be in uh my uh box uh for final preparation for when we go on the air so you're telling me your favorite part about tailgating is getting fat the entire day that's my favorite part of life mm, that's just, fair. you know and i just got my I just, as a matter of fact i had a phone call today for all my bad uh numbers i just had uh <laughs> with, with with the gout and everything else apparently I got well, going well that's, that's all right that's unfortunate i'm gonna uh, keep eating though what would be your favorite part that you think the person that is maybe not as plugged into the etsu community would enjoy well, I, I think a couple things. One, um, if you have kids, I think that the kid zone has grown all the things you can offer that. I think the just that variety of if you just want to sit there and you're a person that enjoys um, adult beverages, you can get your own spot. You can set up. You and your friends can have that. If you've got kids, more uh, friendly, uh, family-friendly type stuff, they have the big jumbotron that Ford brings out, and they show games on there. They've got the kid zone. You can do some other stuff. So to me, it's a little bit of the variety. It kind of fits everything. You kind of know uh, where to go if you don't want your family or kids to, to be around, maybe folks that are that are having the adult beverages. If you want to have the adult beverages and, and the cookout and, and cornhole and some of the other things, and certainly there's, there's a spot you can go there. But I think the freedom uh, that ETSU sort of allows on either end, uh, right? And people haven't taken advantage of it. You know, the, that goes away quickly if you get a few idiots, right? You just need one or two idiots to ruin it for everybody. And right now, uh, everyone is, is sort of played by the rules. And I do like the fact that student organizations are down there and getting the chance to, to mingle with uh, the alumni and fans and, and players' parents and all that stuff. And I think that adds and builds a stronger community as well. Contrary to popular belief, this down was not brought to you by ETSU Athletics, although really this whole show is usually brought to you by ETSU Athletics. So it's kind of a, and, and speaking, of, entertainment. Yeah, speaking of walking the line. Third down. Last week, Penn State beat Idaho 79-7. to Maryland beat Howard 79 to nothing. No, I'm not going to ask you if the Big Ten is back. I'm going to ask you if the biggest line this week 55 points, Alabama over New Mexico State will be covered by the Crimson Tide. I'm going to say no. That's a lot of points. It is. Uh, but They were 0-0 against Duke last week after one quarter. Well, but also if you look traditionally at, at Nick Saban and his teams, they they don't try to run up and embarrass anybody. And and now they've, they've obviously hand the ball up, up the middle, and there's guys that have broke tackles and, and added to scores. But if New Mexico State can put one score on the board – 
then I think that'll be enough to cover. I, I'm going uh, with like a six, a sixty, ah, fifty-nine-seven score. So you think it'll be close? You think the odds makers are still brilliant? I, I think it'll be close, but I still think that's a that's a big number. And Alabama's not a team; it, it, it's they're just not built to, to do that. And honestly, there are plenty. Matter of fact, Carl Torbus told me one time. I said, "Man, wouldn't you hate to play Alabama?" And he actually said, "No." He said, "Nick Saban's one of the few coaches around that you know he wouldn't embarrass your team and and put up eighty on you. That that he would he would play hard the first half." and then try to do enough things in the second half that, you know, they won handily, but it's not a situation where you're worried about they're going to put a triple digit on the board. The crazy part is that they went by 39 last week and 201, 26 for 31, 336 and four scores. I was going to say, if Tua does that again, I bet they beat New Mexico State by 55 or more, but considering he did that last week and only won by 39, maybe not. Fourth down. Fourth, fourth down. Hugh Freeze coached from a hospital bed against Syracuse. Liberty head football coach. And apparently this week, it's going to be a dentist chair. I had to look in the comments on Twitter to make sure that this was not a gag. No one was pulling my arm like this is actually going to happen. And apparently, it is exactly the plan for Hugh Freeze. Is this too over the top? Should he just be stepping away a little bit more and letting his assistants and coordinators run the show? He had back surgery on August 16th, apparently last week from his hospital bed when he coached against Syracuse. He was calling first and second down plays and consulting on important third down plays. Should he let control be taken over a bit by those around him or do you what think was just going above and beyond and doing his job? Well, I had to look it up because I, there are so many different things out there that people said he had wrong with it. So he actually had a Staph infection. Staph infection or, is the bad part. Or, or yeah. MRSA, mm-hmm. which is actually, I had to miss the Kennesaw State Road game because my wife had that as well and had to go to emergency surgery. It was life-threatening. And of course, we didn't know that until afterwards. I, I think you reading the comments, same thing. He kind of went in, didn't feel well. Next thing you know, they're doing emergency surgery. Right. Like, oh, he had like 6% chance to live. And you're sitting there going, well, you know, same thing my wife. They're like, oh, yeah, she was like 60-40. And I'm sitting there going, I'm... I mean, you guys didn't make that sound. You're just like, oh, yeah, we'll just go in here, have some surgery, right. just let us prep her, and we're going, oh, okay. And then when you get out of there, you're like, well, how close was it to her not making it or Hugh not making it? The the thing I would say is with that, you're coherent. Everything is, you know, you know, you you do need to be in a sterile environment, so I'm kind of curious about that because we literally had to quarantine, like, my wife to a different bedroom, had to take bleach baths, all kinds of things that you wouldn't want to do. But you had to be quarantined because – when you flush you out, it, it, it takes away all the stuff in your immune system you built up for all those years. So uh, I, him mentally to coach the game, he's all there. There's nothing there that would take away from that. The physical, this, that, and other, like, it, it would be fine. I'm, I'm just curious about, you know, do they have him in a sterile room? Is people not talking to him? He's putting on a headset somebody else's war. I mean, like, you have to be real careful about that. I don't know if you is just like, well, because I'm mentally there, I need to coach, or if it's just a new gig and he just doesn't want to be that guy. I, I don't know. I I would seem to think that Liberty, being a Baptist university and being a religious affiliate, would probably be like, hey, guy, probably take care of yourself for a few weeks and come on back. I would I would caution in that, having going through that with my wife, but coaches are just bred differently. And in fairness, his season is going on now for only a 12-week period. Right. And so then he's got the off season to rest and get better. I, I don't know what's going on. But I, I would caution if I was with Liberty, I'd say, hey, God, just go ahead and take that off. From my understanding, he hasn't even been cleared to walk up his own steps yet because his back is in that bad of shape. And there was some fluid buildup where they had to drain all of that on Sunday night. And so it's just a mess of a situation. And that would be my thought, too. Take a couple weeks. You know, the, the season is not go- – it's not conference play. 
you know, season's not going to be. Are they even in a conference right now, or is this their first or second year? No, I, I think they're remember. still independent. So they might. I, I, I think, think they're one joined. of like five schools that's independent. So it's like you know, I mean, Syracuse top twenty-five team in the nation, probably not going to upset them, right? That you know, this week uh, I don't even know who they have. Quite honestly, I, I didn't even I didn't even bother to look. Uh, they're at uh, Lafayette, Louis, La, Louis, the Raging Cages, Louisiana okay. Lafayette. So I mean, you know, a contest or Louisiana, right? They dropped Lafayette. Right. Sorry, a, a contest you have a chance to win. Okay, I get that, but. It just seems dicey considering everything that he's dealing with. Yeah, and they, they still are uh, independent. Uh, Liberty is. That's what I thought. That's four downs. Yeah. Fourth down. Fourth down. Fourth down. All right, Austin Herrick. One, two, four. Austin Herrick. After this, Sandoz sidekick of the Rocket Air Sports Network. Over the last 70 years, Johnson City Power Board has had a few different looks. But we've remained the same trusted partner you rely on. Now, we've changed our name to Bright Ridge to match our vision, to deliver on our promise of great service you can count on, embracing common sense technology to strengthen the communities we serve. We're glad to be your public power provider. Bright Ridge, new name, renewed promise. Learn more at brightridge.com. Cake, beer, cake, beer. Quality, quality. Quality, soon to be continental MVP. Cake, cake, a slice of cake, cake, beer, beer. Um, yeah. Long awaited. You actually got your first bumper, and it only took you. Let's see, how many months have you been coming on the show now? About. 13 I think yeah it's about a year or over a year yeah at long last you uh you have your own bumper what are your first impressions you know I I I really like it I think that could be a hit (laughs) um I I think we need to get that out there and pub it you know especially with the uh the continental deal there you can get it out to Europe so well that's what I was kind of thinking I mean you know tweeted at least at the Vienna Vikings uh probably go with the prime ministries of a few countries in Europe. Right. Uh, I'm assuming since you visited like 15 of them, I don't even know how many countries are in Europe, but most of them, it seems like the majority from when you're over there, that you've become known in different regions of the continent. And so if we get it to one person in each country, it'll naturally expand and soon you will be the continental MVP. You know, maybe this could end all the tariff wars going on right now. Mm. Maybe this is our, our olive branch, so to speak. Well, you're a man known to bring people together. Maybe it's like Rocky Four. Maybe this could put an end to the tariffs. Wasn't that the worst Rocky? In my opinion, it's the best. Are you serious? Wow. That's great. I thought it's everybody cheesy. hated that. It, it's so cheesy, but mm. it's so great. You gotta okay. love it. That's a, that may be one of the hotter takes that. Uh, yeah, hot takes. I mean, that's. I don't think anyone's ever said Rocky Four is the best one. So oh, do you like? Do I you, totally disagree. So you like it because it's just so laughable. It's so bad. It's good. Or it's like you genuinely, deep down, think this is the best Rocky. So I genuinely like it. Okay. I love it actually. You I love used to. It. I used to listen to the Rocky Four soundtrack to work out. Um, in high school, maybe I'm telling on myself a little bit, but it's just a great piece. You know, you got Hearts on Fire, uh, you got some other stuff in there. I think Hearts on Fire. What's the other one? I'll think of it later. But anyway, great song. Um, and then the movie. It's just so motivational. You know, his his buddy dies, then he comes back. Spoiler alert: His buddy dies, and then he comes back. For anyone and, that was been waiting on seeing Rocky, you know, for, for probably like thirty something that. years, you know, you could be late. Um, yeah. But but yeah, just a great movie. Now it is cheesy. 
Um, but that's what that's part of the the goodness of the movie. Like, what level of cheesy are we talking about? Because personally, I, I will out myself as having never seen Rocky Four. Right. So I'm not sitting here saying it's the worst one, but I have been told by many a person. Well, Rocky Five is easily the worst. Okay. Um, I've seen all the Rockies, seen the Creeds. Rocky Five's easily the worst. Rocky Four, um, you know, I, I just can't see how someone would say, other than the cheesy aspect, and it's just 80s cheesy stuff. Oh, okay. You know, with like the beginning now, of the movie sure. starts with two, like an American and a, a Soviet glove blowing up. Love it's kind of it. cheesy, but, you know, kind of gets people fired up, I think, if you're if you're about the red, white, and blue. Now, that was made, I'm assuming, after the Miracle on Ice. If it was 80s cheesy, I think that was more late 80s, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, this was like 85, okay. 86-ish, if I'm not was mistaken. That, was that still a thing? Were there still tensions? I, I suppose that, heck, there's yeah, tensions I, now, I guess. Yeah, the, the Berlin Wall fell in 91, I believe. Okay. Yeah, I've been there, but maybe, maybe I'm wrong there. Where have you yeah. That's a good question. At this okay. point, Why don't you share you know. some of the wealth here. <laughs> the wealth that you're sitting on working 16 hours a day for ETS. He was a quality control coach. That's the other part of the bumper that I like is that you got the quality control mixed in. Can you name the artist now? I can't. No. Jurassic Five. Jurassic Five? Jur- Jurassic Five. Like the dinosaur? Oh, Jurassic okay. Five. Okay. You've never heard of Jurassic Five? No. No, just getting educated. Very old right now. Well, you're educating me with Berlin Wall stuff. I figure I return the favor in Jurassic 5 knowledge. There I'm not go. sure they're equitable, but you want to hear some of the other bumpers that you may have not heard on Santos and the Psychic that we don't often use. Sure. I mean, we might as well go with a couple of them. Uh... Tucked away in the northeast corner of the U.S., there is a small town where tomorrow never comes. A quiet place with a majestic hall. A brick-and-mortar temple to the American game. No, not that one. <laughs> Welcome to our Cooperstown with Kyle Cooper. Phenomena. Phenomena. So if you recognize the voice in the beginning, and do you recognize the voice in the beginning? Uh, no, not Bang. really. Okay, not really. Tom Brokaw. Uh, okay. A legend of broadcasting uh, NBC Nightly News for right. a long time. Very majestic, epic voice, yes. right? And then, of course, you have to flip it when you realize, well, Tom Brokaw isn't the guest. And we're not talking about Cooperstown, the Baseball Hall of Fame version. We're talking about Kyle Cooper, a man that actually was public address for many of your games at the football stadium. Right. Short guy, a little bit older, did some women's basketball. Yes, you may I know you're seen, talking about yeah, it. Yep. You, you seem to know plenty of people around here. Uh, so he uh, he's no longer here. Him and the university could not come to an equitable agreement for both sides. So he had to move on. Uh, the university moved down as well. But uh, he was a very quirky individual. Okay. Um, really loved cats, which explains the cat meow. And I thought yeah. it was a very good transition to the menomena. Um, yeah. He was very menomena. That was his personality. Okay. Uh, I don't want to call it bland, but didn't really have a ton to say to a lot of people. Okay. Um, kept to himself. But when he would talk, it would be kind of out of out of left field a little bit. Yeah. Um, very unique individual. Uh, nice guy. Very nice guy. Uh, certainly, though, um, that bumper, I think, was fitting. Uh, yes. Brokaw, Cooperstown, uh, and Kyle Cooper. Uh, boy, let's see. Uh, I know you love the Monday mail. Bag. The mail goes into three sections according to how important I think it looks, okay? Now, the least important stuff, I'm going to burn that. If it's important, they're going to send it again, right? I'm the lost again. The middle important stuff, I put that back in the mail addressed to me, so I buy myself a couple more days. And the most important stuff, that gets delivered. I'll actually burn that too most of the time. <laughs> 
never stops. There's never a let up. It's relentless. Every day it piles up more and more and more. And you gotta get it out. But the Once way you get out, the more keeps coming in. I, I'm, I'm like 0 for 5. When you control the mail, you control information. Okay, so that is Newman from Sight, which is okay. one of the most classic shows. Swing a mess there. Yeah. Uh, Always Sunny in Philadelphia. I thought you may know that one. No. Never no, watched no. Always Sunny Not your style. You gave me a look like, how dare you insinuate yeah, that I never watched that show. I, I've seen it. I've seen like the logo for it. I guess you shouldn't uh, judge a book by its cover, mm-hmm. um, but I certainly have there, and I, I just haven't watched it. It I just doesn't, doesn't seem, seem... It doesn't seem quite you. Yeah, it doesn't seem very interesting to me, but... I'm sure it is to a lot of people. It's uh, it's hilarious in one of those dark and twisted ways where like you got to have a certain dry and messed up sense of humor to like it. You you don't seem like, like no. That's like, kind of me. Is that, it? That's kind of me. I like. I'm, I've got a pretty dry sense of humor. Like the the office is kind of uh, up my. Not that that's like dark or twisted. I think that's kind of in your face humor though. Like okay, you it almost forces the humor down your throat where you have to laugh because it is so good but like so over the top. Where I think Always Sunny in Philadelphia is like that except it is way more like past the line of acceptable. Okay. Where the office always had to watch that because watch that because they were on network. Right. Um, where Always Sunny in Philadelphia. I'll have to check it out. Yeah, I, I would actually love for you to watch a couple episodes and report back when you get the chance. I know you're working like 27 hour days. Uh, when you do get the chance, it's totally shit. Okay. Uh, other items, I swear we're going to get to football here in a second. Uh, I want to talk about Trey Mitchell and what you thought of his performance. I want to talk about your first day of actually coaching a football game at a collegiate level, being up in the box, not being on the field, what all that was like. But I have to bring up a point from last week. Uh, head coach um, Randy Sanders, you know, is maybe not known for his crazy, insane, over-the-top motivational-type techniques. Uh, he does an excellent job of motivating in his own way. Um, I can't ever picture a story like the one we heard from Matt Wilson one week ago about Lee Morrow, uh, who's called coach around here, has done pretty much everything at ETSU, longtime strength and conditioning coach for ETSU football and some other programs. Matt Wilson said a week ago, former quarterback, you're a co- former quarterback yourself now, that Lee Morrow used to, on Appalachian State game days, ride from Johnson City on his bike to Boone, North Carolina, which is an elevation change of about 1,700 feet up, about a third of a mile, and also 107 miles if you go to and from. And the story we were told by Matt, color analyst on the Buccaneer Sports Network, was yes, that happened on game day. Now, I double-checked with Lee Morrow. He said it wasn't game day. He did do that, though. It was game week he would do it. And he told me that there's about a five-mile stretch of road on the way there that's pretty much directly uphill. And uh, a couple of times when he did it, because it was more than once, uh, he thought he was done. He thought it was the end of his rope. Like, it was a nice run. This is it for you. Wow. Gather your belongings. Sign the will while you're passing out on someone's lawn in Boone because you're not going to make it. Um, Craziest thing that you've ever seen, heard of, has happened to you motivationally, that you've done to motivate someone, any of the above. Because to me, that's about as crazy and confusing as... Any motivational tactic I've heard, 107 miles to and from on a bike, maybe to prove that anything's possible, I'm not quite sure, but uh, craziest thing like that, or completely different from that, that you've ever had in your football. Yeah, that that shows how, how tough Coach Morrow is. He's, yeah. uh, he's one of a kind, for sure. That is a um, But I guess two things come to mind. One is Coach Torbush, when, when he was here, um, he 
he had some interesting motivational methods and um at the beginning of of certain weeks he would say uh different things that you know guys we got a big game coming up here um and i've talked to my wife and i'll tell you what if we win this game i'll shave my mustache and all of us were like you know we want to win but if you shave your mustache or not, it really doesn't matter. Right. Uh, and then there was another one one time where he's like, if we win this game, I tell you what, I'll do the hand bone. And, like, I, I didn't know what the hand bone was. I'm sure bone? a lot of other guys didn't know. It's some dance. And he actually did it a few times. I think after the first win that we had back as a program, uh, I think there's a picture of him doing the hand bone somewhere, um, which is some dance that was popular, like, mid-40s, 20th century. Yeah. Um, so... So, yeah, uh, that was something that wasn't incredibly motivational, but we all enjoyed it. Um, and then my high school coach was um, completely opposite of any other football coach. You know, you play a team that um, maybe is you know, a little bit better than you. Most of the time the coaches try to make them as you know, equal to you, like you guys can beat them, no doubt. Uh, my high school coach would always be like, you know, these guys are probably better than us, and we can just keep it close, you know, staying in around halftime. It'll be a good game. Um, and then he'd also say if, if we were a lot better than an opponent, which most coaches would say, you know, this team could beat us if we don't play good. And right. If we were playing a team like that, he'd say, all right, guys, you know, uh, we, if we're playing these guys and it's close by halftime, we're all doing something wrong. They should just let me go and not coach anymore. Because uh, we should beat these guys probably at 40, 50 points. Wow. And I actually found that incredibly motivational because really? he was just so honest. He said what everyone knew. You know, when we're playing Tennessee, we're going to have to play really, really good to beat those guys. You know, and most coaches would be like, all right, you know, it, you know we can beat these guys if we play well. Um, where he was like, ah, we, we probably ain't going to beat them, but, you know, let's go out there and play hard. Um, and, then, and then when you're playing an opponent that you're better than, most coaches, you know, it, as a player you can kind of see, well, if we, as long as we really don't mess things up, we're going to beat these guys. And he would just be honest with you, and you knew. And um, that's what I think all of us liked about that coach. I think the quote from Randy Sanders this week on the ETSU Radio Coaches Show on Wednesday night was, he was at yeah, practice and said, hey, guys, how many of you have wanted to be on SportsCenter? About everybody raised their hand. He said, well, you lose this game, you're all going to be on SportsCenter. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's, a, that's a good one. I yeah. mean, it, it's a little Herb Brooks-esque. I don't know if you ever heard the stories about Herb Brooks and yes. what he did before the, you know, there was, I think, the kind of two sides of the coin where there was the one where, you know, if you're going to lose, you're going to take this to your bleeping graves and, uh, you know, that obviously was extremely motivational for that team because they went out in 1980 and pulled maybe the biggest upset in the right. history of sports. And then I think it was the next uh, Olympics, I believe, or it might have been a world championships. or it, it was when he was getting a little bit further on in his coaching career, and he gave him a pen and paper and said, you write the ending, yeah. which, you know, I – I like that, you know. That's it, cool. It, yeah, it's it, so it's you know it, it's very different from you're taking this to your effing graves, and it didn't yeah. work. The you write the ending. I, I don't think that uh, USA won yeah. um, that Olympics, but uh, yeah, th that strikes me as a little bit Herb Brooks esque, like except with a little touch of Yogi Berra, you know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you'll be at Sports Center, huh? Yeah. Well, go out and lose this game. You'll be on Sports <laughs> Center. So a little bit different. Okay. What was your first game like? We are going to talk football with Austin Herrick about, uh, boy, 15 minutes into our conversation. What was your first game like up in the box, Appalachian State, Bucks, and Mountaineers? 
Uh, it was certainly different, you know, in warm-ups, I was thinking, you know, I guess my body was so used to the routine of warm-ups, I was thinking, okay, I got to get to the next drill, you know, start warming up, whatever, um, but obviously, I didn't, so um, it was cool just to see the game from a different perspective. Um, it's just as intense, if not more intense, in the box than it is on the field. Wow. Um, it's just, you know, you're in a closed environment, um, you're just super focused on the game, and, and that's that's the only thing that you're worried about. So uh, it, it was really cool to see that from a different perspective, something I've wanted to do um, for a really long time. And um, it, definitely not physically as challenging, but certainly uh, something where mentally you have to be locked in and focused. Could you tell more how the game was unfolding from up there than you could on the sidelines? Or is it just different? Yeah, you definitely have a better view. Uh, you definitely can see more of the strategy of what's going on. See who's doing well, see who's doing not, those type of things. Were right. you taking that kind of stuff out, or were you just locked into your responsibilities? Yeah, yeah, a little bit of both. You know, I, I did what I was supposed to do, and then I was able to watch the play. And uh, you can kind of see, okay, this is what they're trying to do defensively, and this is how we're trying to attack it, or how, we, how can we attack it as the game goes along. And you see more of the chess match so to speak, whereas when you're playing, you're kind of caught up in the energy of the game, and um, it's a lot more physical. There's more physical aspects where uh, up in the box, it's more, you know, chess match. Coolest thing about it, worst thing about it? Coolest thing, the view, and you're in air conditioning, so, <laughs> and, and the worst thing about it is you're not out there playing and celebrating touchdowns. Did you miss that? Oh, yeah. I, I think you always do. You yeah. don't think that'll ever fade at all, even if, say, you're a head coach down on the sideline? Yeah, I, I really think at least from the experience I've had so far that every coach wishes they could go back and play. Mm. You know, you, you always miss the, the locker room and things like that and, and just being on the field. That's, that's just part of it. Any points where you were extremely frustrated at one specific thing and you wanted to go down on the field and talk to a guy and just be like, look, you got to do this, but you're in the box. You can't get down there. It's not your role. It's not your job. And that's been your job for so long. Well, um, I think the first time I was up there for a scrimmage, I was. Mm -hmm. And then I quickly realized, okay, these people were just as frustrated as me last year sure. for not doing these things. So um, maybe need to pump my brakes because I wasn't as good a player as maybe like it feels like I was when you're up there. You're like, oh, I would definitely <laughs> do that. And then you're like, oh, well, I didn't do that. Right. So, right. yeah. What did you think of what unfolded at the quarterback position? Uh, Chance, of course, has the injury. Um, we talked about it on the show last week, uh, during the week. I don't believe I talked with you about it, but a uh, couple season-ending injuries for him um, in his career already, and you hope that something like that doesn't come about again. It doesn't sound nearly as serious as any, either of those injuries were, but his status still uncertain for this week, and it certainly put the team in a tough position where they had to turn to Trey Mitchell, who was not only inexperienced but had never thrown a collegiate pass. You uh, worked with him a little bit during your time here as a player and now as a coach. What made Trey Mitchell able to go out there and have the success he did? I, I think 12 for 19, 117 in a score when you're playing your very first game action at the college level is pretty darn good. No doubt. Uh, like you said, it's an unfortunate what happened to Chance. and. Um, you know, I, I know that he's working hard to get back and, and doing what he can. So we'll see about this week and as the future unfolds. But for Trey, he's he's one of the smartest people that I've been in the quarterback room with. Um, he picked up our offense last year really quickly, mm. uh, maybe quicker than I did, uh, to be honest. Um, Trey is very bright. I think he's a math major or, or something really difficult, maybe 
uh, something else. But one day we were coming in, and he was drawing like the the angle of a curve of a circle or something. I, I'm not even sure how to word that. Right. Um, but yes, Trey's very very smart. Um, and one thing he is is just consistent. You know what you're getting with Trey. Every day he comes in, um, has the same attitude, same mindset. Uh, goes out to practice and, and does his job, and I think that's what you get with Trey Mitchell. You may not get the flashy play of you know someone with a, a super strong arm or super fast or anything like that, but Trey's gonna um, do his job and, and, and do what it takes. So um, yeah, I've I've loved spending time with Trey, and he's definitely a guy that you know I, I couldn't be happy for him and see the success he had last Saturday. Coach Sanders said in his press conference, and this is an interesting comment to me, it was complimentary but it also on the other side of it looked to be a little window into why maybe Trey hasn't gotten an opportunity he essentially said Trey is like like you did just now a very smart guy and especially during the game on Saturday when coach Sanders would call a play he looked where the ball should go that's where it ended up and having heard coach Sanders talk about decision making and what quarterbacks do that's a lot of how coach Sanders judges mm -hmm. how a quarterback does is I thought this should happen because of this coverage. Did it happen? And yeah. that's if a quarterback did it right or wrong, regardless of the result. Uh, what he said at the end of the statement about Trey Mitchell is, now, does he always hit what he throws at? You know, that's something that we still have to work on. Essentially, I'm paraphrasing. But it sounds like Trey is very advanced on the mental side, but the very final objective, uh, beginning objective, final objective, middle objective, all of them rolled into one, hit what you're throwing at, and be sure that you get the ball where it's to go is something that he hasn't quite mastered yet, the more physical side of the game. Right. Um, and he's still young. I mean, I guess he's a, a redshirt freshman or a redshirt sophomore. Uh, one of the two. Um, he's still really young. And so he's still working, still getting better at those things. And who better to have as a quarterback coach than, than Coach Sanders? So you're going to say Austin Harris. Well, no, no, no. Definitely not that. Because <laughs> um, Coach Sanders definitely had a lot of negative things to say about me. That would so, get back to him pretty quick, and I think yeah, you'd have a visit in your office. Yeah, so no, I'm uh, I'm learning from, from those mistakes still. But uh, no, Trey's, Trey's getting better. I, I told someone today I think he had his best practice um, today, and I think the day before that was his best practice before today. So he's getting better, um, and he's getting more confident, and you can see that. I know the guys you know, really like Trey. He's got a good sense of humor and, and all of those things. So um, yeah, I'm excited to see um, you know how how this year unfolds. What is this week good for from a player's perspective? And I, you had the chance to experience it kind of backwards uh, in a couple of the years that you played for ETSU. You had the Division Two, the lower opponent, and then last year with Tennessee, at least for instance, you had the higher opponent, of course, going to Neyland. This year, it's flipped. I thought the effort against Appalachian State was very solid, at least for you know the first three quarters. And then you had the fourth and one, and go for it, and things kind of snowball from there. And Coach Sanders talked about that on the coaches' show and just said, it's probably my fault. We had second and one, wanted to go over the top and score, got a little bit greedy, then we didn't get the fourth and one. Just one thing led to another, and at that point, the defense was kind of gassed, and Appalachian State has a way of wearing you down. Uh, but aside from that, seeing things reverse now and coming into a game against a team that's lost 39 consecutive games, three straight winless seasons plus six losses in 2016, make it 2015 as well. Uh, obviously, they're not going to be to the level that should, on a given day, give ETSU or many FCS teams 
a ton of difficulty. What is this game good for for the Bucks this week? Is it a get right game? Yeah, I think I think weeks like this, coach coach will say, and he's exactly right. You know, this is opportunity too, and you can't treat any opponent differently. Uh, you still have to prepare whether they've won 36 straight or or lost however many they've lost. You know, that's just how it is. And if you start to you know change the way you prepare for teams, then you're gonna have you're gonna see different results. You're not gonna see you know a consistent football team. And so that's one thing I think we do really well. Um, as a player, like I was mentioning earlier, you kind of know, you know, this isn't necessarily the same type of opponent as Appalachian State. Um, I, I always tried to use weeks, um, you know, that either we had a bye week, maybe we're playing Tennessee, maybe we're playing an opponent that we probably should beat, you know. Spend those weeks and, and hone in on your fundamentals even more. You know, maybe, maybe instead of watching 30 more minutes of film, you can take 30 more drops, you know, things like that. And so um, that's personally how I would prepare. Um, but, you know, this is a week for us where we have to really lock in and make sure we're doing our base things right. You know, to move on into conference play, you want to be feeling really good offensively. Um, I guess that's really what I can speak on most in terms of, you know, how, how are you executing your base things. So then you can build upon those. Um, because it's tough to to go through a conference schedule like we have um, and not be on your, your P's and Q's, so to speak. So I think this is a week where you just go back to your fundamentals and, and you make sure all of those are are primed and ready to go because we still have a long season ahead. How's the coffee been? How have the dinners of choice been? What's it been like being a quality control coach this week? Oh, it's been good. You know, just living the dream. That quality control. As quality control. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the, the pure definition of it. You know, if I can make other people's lives easier, then I'm doing my job. So. Selfless, selfless human being. Yeah, well, I don't. I, that's just my job. So, uh, <laughs> you know, if as long as no one's uh, confused as to why something's going on or something went wrong, then, then I guess I'm doing things right. So I'm, I'm sure there's been a few times this week where, where I've screwed up that I had to go um, – you know, make up for what I did wrong, but uh, yeah, just still learning and trying to get better. Any interest in the NFL games that's coming up weekend? That's obviously the season opener. You, I'm sure, going to be paying attention somewhat. Yeah, I, I will. I actually have a fantasy draft coming up here in about in an hour or so. Okay. So uh, I had my last two last night, and let me tell you, when I got finished with those, it was just a euphoric state. You know, okay. hope is springing eternal. Yes. Dreams are running wild. Right. The world is your oyster after that last draft, and you're just sitting there looking at your teams thinking, I am the greatest. Yes. Uh, I, I don't know that that's going to be the case for no. me. Okay. I know last year uh, a bunch of the guys on the team had one, and, and we did not bet on it because Never we're NCAA athletes. athletes. You know, we, we would not do that. Now you're an employee of the yeah, now NCAA we're employee. Yeah. So, you don't do that now. Yeah. yeah. So um, I, last year I felt like I had a terrible, terrible team. Um, but, you know, Wild and Dild made some trades, uh, and we ended up, I think, third in a team or a league of uh, probably twelve guys. Nice. So, so yeah, not too bad. Looking to build upon that performance from last year. So I, I have hitched my horse and stable or buggy or whatever something behind a horse is to Derrick Henry in three of my five teams, Amari Cooper in two of them, DK Metcalf in three of them. Oh no. Yeah, uh, two two leagues each of Tom Brady, Kirk Cousins. Russell Wilson and Carson Wentz, you know, kind of a mix. Uh, essentially, they're my big guys. Oh, Zach Ertz, too. I love I, like Zach I, I love Wentz to Ertz. I mean, that's yes. beautiful. 
if you can lock down that tight end. But Derrick Henry, Amari Cooper, DK Metcalf, my most owned players. Wow. And, you, and you look disgusted. Yeah, I think that's bold. Uh, <laughs> we'll see how that pays off, Cotton. Uh, but, yeah, that, that's bold. We'll, we'll see. I, I can't really speak too much because I could end up with similar guys. So. I hope you end up with all three and we're in this together. I hope that you and me go down with the Derrick Henry, DK Metcalf, and Amari Cooper ship. And it probably will go down. You're probably right. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm not, I don't know if I'd be in that euphoric state that you were talking about <laughs> if that's who I had. I'm an optimist, you know. There you You've go. always been a pessimist. Your glass is always happy. Oh, yeah. If anyone knows Austin here, the glass is always happy. <laughs> <laughs> Appreciate you, Austin. No problem. Thanks for having me. Good luck this weekend. Shorter University, 7.30 is kickoff Saturday, 6 p.m. pregame. Santos and the sidekick back with bold predictions on the Buccaneers Sports Network. Life is all about perfect pairings. Sweet and salty, naughty and nice, hot and cold. Well, add instant and jackpot to the list because that's what you'll get when you add Quick Cash to your next Tennessee Cash play. Quick Cash is a simple way to turn one game into two. With Quick Cash, you'll have a chance to win up to $500 instantly right there at the register. Plus, you'll still have a chance to win the Tennessee Cash drawing later. Get the best of both worlds and get twice the fun. It's Quick Cash with Tennessee Cash, only from the Tennessee Lottery. Game-changing fun. Please play responsibly. Look, I think it's plain to see Andrew Luck is going to be the top quarterback in football this year. If you don't think Antonio Brown's going to be a model citizen when he finally gets out of Pittsburgh and makes his money, you're crazy. The AAF is a juggernaut. It's only a matter of time before it overtakes the NFL. You really think the NFL and Roger Goodell is going to let Josh Gordon back in? I mean, it's obvious. Fletcher McGee is getting drafted, maybe even in the first round. No, 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 no. I've got plenty of sources more than you, Mike, in Knoxville. Rick Barnes is no way considering that UCLA job. Bold prediction. Yeah. Bolder and bolder by yeah. today is your bold prediction yeah. of Antonio Brown being a model citizen ah. once he reached Oakland or got out of Pittsburgh. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't care what Mike Mayock says. It is a bigger bigger thing he's making of it I, here's the deal mike mayock is now making up stuff so everyone thinks it's a train wreck and antonio brown is going to play monday night and two touchdowns boom go that's bold i think you kicked out bold predictions the right way am yeah. i writing that one down is that no, right no do oh not. you're not oh, okay because a screaming down. match ensued between <laughs> mike mayock and antonio brown apparently i think it was wednesday but news came out yesterday that oakland's planning to suspend him for game one i mean Seems an overreact, but whatever. It does seem a little bit strange. Now, here's the here's the weird thing about it. You watch Hard Knocks? You a Hard Knocks guy? No, I usually don't. I really like Hard Knocks. Great show. Uh, very entertaining and lots of access to camp that you and me and millions of others would never get, would never know how things really go. And so to be able to get that inside look is really valuable and fun for a football fan such as myself. What I'm quickly realizing about Hard Knocks, and perhaps nothing illustrates it better than this Antonio Brown situation, they very carefully pick and choose. Now, of course, this is probably the case with every documentary-style show, right? So I'm not breaking news to anyone, but they made Antonio Brown look like a pretty good guy in this entire situation on that show. I just watched the last episode a couple nights ago. When, in fact, there's probably a whole other side to things. The one that's yelling at Mike Mayock that he'll punch him in the face, punting the ball, saying, find me for that, when it came out that they were planning on finding him for a variety of things and that he was already fined and such. So uh, your Antonio Brown take hotter and hotter by the moment, and it I absolutely love one. it. 
it was. It was. It was. Yeah. yeah. So you what is own it? So what is hotter at this moment, the Antonio Brown model citizen or the Andrew Luck best quarterback in football this year? Probably I, I, still the luck, isn't it? Well, I mean, it it's definitely going. I think the luck will affect the Colts season more than maybe Antonio Brown would have affected the Raiders season. I mean, did anybody think the Raiders were going straight playoffs because they picked them up? I mean, they won four games last year. Uh, well, I think we'll probably get to that in bold predictions as well. Oh, the I love NFL it. season, okay. Okay. the NFL right. season is underway. Last night it was Bears and Packers, and by the way, uh, perhaps two playoff teams clashing last night at least in my nfl bold predictions that are coming up in a moment first let's do etsu etsu in shorter 7 30 p.m saturday night voice of the box jay sandos has the call on the buccaneer sports network pregame 6 p.m voice why don't you get us started uh, i'm going to go three three rushing and three passing touchdowns in the game for the bucks so three of each so six touchdowns total between was- those two Yes. Portions of the game. There, yes. And I was trying to, before I came in here uh, Friday morning, look up the last time ETSU had actually done that. And it gone through a couple of seasons before I could find it. And I'm sure it's happened. I just didn't have enough time to backtrack how many years. So that's why it furthers why I think it is a bold prediction. It has been m- many, many seasons since ETSU has had a game with three rushing and three passing in the same game. For ETSU's offense, I believe that they will break the single-game record for first downs by an ETSU team. Right now, that stands at 30. It has been done twice. Once last year, as a matter of fact, against Western Carolina. Now, keep in mind, that took three overtimes to get that 45-43 triple overtime win for the Bucs. Then against Charleston Southern in 1992, that, I believe, was the largest margin of victory in ETSU history, 62 points. A 62 nothing shutout against Charleston Southern that back in 1992. 30 first downs done twice. I believe it will erase both of those numbers from the record books. 31 or more first downs for the ETSU offense against Shorter on Saturday. I like that. What's the uh, 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 yards per play? Yards per play, 9.8 against App State, mm. interestingly enough, mm. in 1997. Mm. Okay, I was going to go there. I'm not going to go there. Nine point eight's a lot. Sacks. Um, is there a? T- uh, I was going to go negative plays, but I don't. Uh, I don't think that's in the record. Yeah, I don't think it is. How many tackles for a loss? I was going to go ten. Ten. Ten, ta- ten tackles for a loss. What do you think of that? Ten tackles for a loss. I'm, or I'm or more, or exactly ten. Uh, ten or more. Okay. Double we, digits. We got to make sure to, uh, to double exact here on bold predictions because you know I am the petty type to go back and look at your exact wording on something to disqualify you four bold predictions i think the defense is not going to allow one not one third down conversion the entire game to shorter an offense that scored just 13 points per game last year an offense that struggles a defense that struggles i think early and often it'll be a demoralized shorter hawks team who have lost 39 consecutive games and they obviously as we talked about in the first segment have had quite the issue with not only scoring playing defense winning uh, but developing some consistency on their roster. And we talked about the longest losing streaks in the history of college football. They are rapidly approaching the Division II mark, and that's what makes me pretty confident that that second bowl prediction will be correct. No third down conversions for Shorter's offense. Go ETSU defense. Go box. <laughs> All right. Now, uh, we're just doing two this week, and then uh, are, we, are we doing just a college one, or are we just going to jump right into? All I've got is NFL. Okay, NFL. NFL season long. So these will go with the ETSU 
the Southern Conference and the college football season-long predictions. You want me to? So we do, and we're going to do division division winners and the wild cards, right? And we get a point per correct one, or how's I think this work? that's I think that's fair. A point per correct, and then maybe an extra point for whoever wins or has more, shall we say, than okay. the other person. Okay. And so, then how so, about, so when I have six and you have five, then I win. You get the extra point. Okay. Right. Uh, you getting six is a bold prediction. Uh, do you want to bold predict on your own bold prediction? Uh, let's do Super Bowl too. Top team out of each conference, Super Bowl. Okay. It's a, it's a, it's a standard, you know. Okay. I think, I think, it'll, I think it's right. good. Uh, go ahead. Uh, all right, I'll start in the AFC. The division winners, no particular order. No particular order. Okay. Fine. Shocker. New England. Yeah. Pittsburgh, San Diego, mm. and Jacksonville. So San Diego over Kansas City and Jacksonville over either Houston or I don't even think we have to talk about Indianapolis, but I Tennessee mean we as well. Tennessee as well is in that, that. Tennessee's in that division yeah, as well. Yeah, but they're going to be 8-8 eight eight like they are every year. They pretty much are like year, that every year. So I'm yeah. going to do that. Uh, and uh, I will say this. I didn't quite go Super Bowl hangover not to make the playoffs. I will take the Chiefs and the Ravens as wild card. Chiefs and Ravens. Okay. NFC, go ahead. NFC, I'm going Philly, New Orleans, Minnesota, Seattle. Mm. Again, Super Bowl hangover, uh, Los Angeles Rams will make the playoffs, but as a wild card, and the Bears are my other team. Okay. In the AFC, I'm going to go New England, Kansas City, Houston, Cleveland. Cleveland as the fourth division winner. I think that's probably the biggest upset, and maybe the second biggest upset in my predictions is that there is no AFC North team in the playoffs aside from Cleveland so that means Pittsburgh and Baltimore most notably miss out and Cincinnati too but we don't really need to talk about them we'll see about when AJ Green does come back if Andy Dalton has anything left in the right arm etc Oakland the number five seed and San Diego the number six seed in that order not in that order whatever the two wild cards Oakland and San Diego I think as bold as your Antonio Brown prediction was I still think he's going to play I'll say 11 or more games. He'll be out to prove a point. I don't think it's going to the black hole swallow him up like it did Randy Moss for those couple of seasons where Moss was out in Oakland. I think Antonio Brown, Mike Mayock, either are going to punch each other in the face and get it over with, or they're going to come to some kind of resolution and realize they're both being a little stupid, and Oakland will transform with Jacobs in the backfield, with Brown out wide, with Derek Carr returning to form as he showed before he was injured a couple of years ago when he was on track for an MVP season. And Oakland is the number five seed, a wild card. In the NFC, Rams, Cowboys, Vikings, Falcons, Packers, and Bears, both wild cards out of the NFC North. And I think that the Falcons are going to take the South. So New Orleans out, Carolina out. Uh, and I think the Cowboys are going to have a strong season. Amari Cooper there the whole year. Zeke has ended the holdout six years, $90 million. They were on the upswing last year. Um, and the Rams, I think, are the pretty clear-cut right now number one team in the NFC, even though you have them as a wild card. No, but, well, again, they're still going to get a play. And, again, you could be a wild card team with 10 or 11 wins, so I, I don't think that's that that big of a prediction. I think what Seattle's done to kind of reinvent some of the defensive things, plus their schedule is going to be a little more favorable. That I think was the toughest team for me to leave out with Seattle in the yeah, NFC. And for me, and, and again, it's one of those situations where, all right, you're playing slightly less competition. Now the Rams will have to play all the division winners from last year. Uh, we'll see how that goes uh, on the NFC. Other tough team to leave out was Philly. You had Philly in yours, and I I tried to find a way, but I like the NFC North this year. I, and I think the NFC – probably has more teams vying for playoff spots. Um, I think you could make an argument for three teams, as you did, 
uh, in the NFC North. I think you could easily go two teams for the East, two to three teams in the South, depending on if uh, you know if Cam and all those guys at Carolina can kind of turn it around. I think in the NFC West, I think clearly the Rams, Seattle, and then you can make an argument for the the, the Niners are sort of the trendy. Garoppolo. There's always one of those like eight and eight teams that you know can make a swing. Clearly, the the biggest question marks the AF uh, in the AFC is the South, right? Who who is really going to step up and take that division? And that AFC West could be interesting, not just with Oakland, but Denver should be much improved. Um, I think what they're going to be able to do defensively, get back to to playing solid defense, and then uh, Flacco's usually not killing you, right? Not killing you. He's not maybe he's not winning a lot of games, but he's not going to kill you. And they've been struggling in some quarterback play. Why are people so out on Houston? I mean, they're consistently nine and seven, ten and six. They got a strong defense. They got the probably best defensive player in the game. Is the running back this year? Is that what's hurting them with Lamar Miller? Right. He wasn't that good anyway. I think. I think a couple of things. One is defensively, they seem to instead of getting better, they seem to have gotten worse, and they have some offensive line. I did try to address that with the massive trade, right, to get uh, um, the tackle Mississippi State marijuana gas mask guy Laramie from, Tunsil yeah Tunsil from the Dolphins I love that in all of his baggage before I could come up with his name yeah Ole you, Miss he's at Mississippi State that's an Ole Miss guy you named so, marijuana face mask guy and I was like oh yeah yeah for sure yeah, yeah Tunsil so they, but they gave up a, a lot for that plus they get uh, Kenny Stills they got clearly some some key pieces can Deshaun Watson stay healthy all year that's another question mark but defensively for whatever reason they just hemorrhage Yards, you really feel like they would be much better than what they have been, and then they lose Clowney. To be honest with you, I'm not sure that was as bad. He he seemed to play when he wanted to play. Big name, so but he's a big but. Now I think Pete Carroll will be able to get the most out. Like that's a guy. It seems like he would fit in well with the style of coaching that Pete Carroll will give you, as opposed to the former Patriot uh, coordinator Bill O'Brien. That that's just my guess there. I think the AFC is interesting defensively because in the AFC, AFC South, Houston was tied for second in points allowed in the AFC, and they were tied for third in the entire AFC. So it's a very defensive division. Say what you want about the offenses, and obviously Jacksonville, I've never been big on their offense, even when Bortles was there and they made that run in the playoffs a couple of years back. And obviously Tennessee just has loads and loads of trouble with Mariota trying to make him work and Derrick Henry kind of coming on late at the end of the year but not being good at all the first three quarters of the season and DeMarco Murray's not there anymore and the receiver has always been a big issue so it, it's a really interesting breakdown well, and, and of course the Colts now without luck and, and Houston won the division last year right so, five, so, yeah. so, so they're going to play Kansas City for sure they've got Pittsburgh they've got New England so they the, on top of you know what the rest of whichever AFC an NFC division they'll play. At least so we know they'll beat Pittsburgh. At least we know that. Well, and, and again, going back to if you look at Jacksonville, I mean, I think that you know they they finished uh, last, did they not in that division? Yes, five yeah. and eleven. Okay, so very uh, bold. That one's bold for you. But who are all the the bottom team bottom feeders they get to face in the AFC? Right, they get Buffalo, Oakland, Cincinnati, and the Jets. Yeah, there you go. Oakland, Cincinnati, and the Jets. Jets. People feel like they're much improved with Le'Veon. Oakland, obviously, I think is much improved. Cincinnati is going to be bad again. Yeah, I, I'm curious to see. Gase goes from Miami to the Jets, the supposed quarterback whisperer, but he didn't do a lot with anything he had in Miami. So I'm not. We'll see. Donald clearly is a talent. Bell's a weapon. 
Um, I think the receiving core is a little underrated. And of course, I see a lot more Jets game than most people probably do. But Robbie Anderson, Anderson. is a guy that's very talented, man. And they got um, Jay Crowder, I believe, to put do. across from him. Yeah. They and have well, Quincy Anunua still. He's gone, isn't he? Uh, no, Anunua's there. He's still there. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, and I kept, uh, you know, they upgraded the tight end slot. They added a couple offensive linemen. Defensively, it would still be a little bit of an issue for him. But with you bring Gase in, you're worried about offense. You're worried about scoring points. You got Donald. I think that's the the, the game plan there. But I think Jacksonville. To me, is one of those those teams that's going to sink up. So that's probably my boldest. I'll give you that. Jacksonville is the most, the least confidence is probably Jacksonville winning the division. Uh, least confident wild card team probably Baltimore. But I just feel like still defensively they run the ball, the division, everything they do. And a peek behind the curtain. Me and Jay have been arguing. We sound calm right now, but arguing about Pittsburgh and their legitimacy this year for many, many months, and the AFC North in general. For whatever reason, a very sore subject of contention for each of us. I'm just going to say, you haven't heard a word. Not one single thing out of Pittsburgh. There's not one holdout talk. True. There's not Antonio Brown. I think they, Get rid of your two they, best players, and they, yeah, that'll be the case. They could be a sleeping giant. I think that's the close for the show and the close for you. Super Bowl, what's your Super Bowl? Hurry. New England. Doesn't matter. Of course. I'm going Minnesota, New England. Same pick as last year, but I have to pick New England to win. How sad is that? If it comes down to, though, Minnesota and New England in the Super Bowl, and, it, and we're on the show... I'm going to completely erase all tapes of me ever saying New England will beat Minnesota and go all in on Minnesota that week, all simply right, because just, you're sitting next to me. I, so I have to pick somebody. I will go New England and the Bears to avenge the, mm-hmm. the, the drubbing from 1986 of January. 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 So long ago. I'm so proud of <laughs> Those are good bowl predictions. All right. Next week we'll talk uh, about shorter. We'll have uh, comments. Head coach Randy Sanders will break down the game, get you set up for the week for the Bucks' first conference game versus VMI. Great show, Sanders sidekick. Big thanks to Austin Herrick. We're back next week. Buccaneers. Work, that work. See ya.